Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Romans. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8. I already had uh, a mind to preach on giving. I preached on giving last week from 2 Corinthians 8. I was going to preach on giving from 2 Corinthians 9 uh, this morning, and the Lord just did not give me peace about it. And so uh, we're going to be looking at something in, in Romans chapter 8. Our, our church is, from my perspective, one of, one of the most unusual churches I've ever seen in a lot of different ways. And most of them are good, and maybe all of them are good, I don't know. Um, but uh, one of the things that I've noticed happens here, I've not, never really seen it happen anywhere else before, um, when there are difficulties, oftentimes they come to individual families or individual people, and they come in waves together. There's not a lot of it that happens, you know, uh, you know, uh, with interspersed type of thing. It seems like when one starts to, to go through something, then another one, then there's another one, then there's another. I just notice that. That's just... Like I said, I've never really seen a church like that. That's not necessarily, not necessarily a bad thing. Actually, I think it's a good thing because it really knits our hearts together when that kind of thing uh, does happen. But it is so important for us whenever we go through difficulties, regardless of what level it might be on, to keep the, the right perspective. And uh, what we're going to look at this morning are, uh, are four encouraging questions. That's the title of the message this morning, four encouraging questions. Four encouraging questions that will help you as, as difficulty and troubles and, and uh, you know, trials and so forth come, come across your path. Let's all stand together, if you would. We're going to read quite a lengthy lengthy passage. We're going to start in verse 26 of Romans chapter 8. We're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter. Beginning in verse 26, and if your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, please allow them to look on with you. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for, all, for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, I can give a, a, a great and hearty amen to those verses, and particularly that last one, that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. There are things that are going to come into our lives, and we're going to have to, to not only learn how to deal with them, but understand something about the God who allowed them to come into our lives. There is a purpose. And we pray, Father, that as we take a look at four questions that you have posed to us for us to ponder, uh, Lord, uh, these four questions, all, all four of them direct us immediately to you, to your character, to your care, to, to your love to us. We pray, Father, that you would speak to hearts this morning. And my, 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 my desire is that this be an encouraging message this morning, that it be a helpful message this morning. Uh, Lord, I, I know you encouraged my heart with these verses. I pray that you'd encourage your people this morning. Do what only you can do. Take the word of God, minister to hearts, and minister to needs that are, that are here this morning. There's no way any human being could know even half of the needs that are represented here. But God, you know every single one of them. And Lord, you are concerned about every single one of them. So Lord, please, uh, meet needs, minister to hearts, have your will and way as, as you speak to us, Lord. May we, we, may we say yes to the Spirit of God, and may the Spirit of God have his will and his way in our hearts and lives this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. There are, uh, in previous to this, it, t it talks about, the, uh, in, in chapter 8, it talks about uh, some groans. In fact, you've got, you got some groanings going on here in verse 26 and 27. And uh, a prior to this, there are some more groans. You've got the creation groaning. You've got, we've got the, the creation, us, are growing, uh, are gro groaning. Human beings are groaning. And the Spirit of God is groaning. And I, and I believe all of that is, is directly linked to the fact that the earth is under a curse and we're looking forward to someday no longer being under that curse. Not only are we looking forward to that, but the, the, uh, but the creation is looking forward to that. And in verses 26 and 27 in particular, it talks about the groanings of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to look with me at that again. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. In other words, when we're hurting, when we're having problems, when we're, when we're struggling with something, the Spirit of God comes in and helps. He helps and says, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Oftentimes when we're in the middle of that stuff, we don't know how to pray for ourselves, let alone for somebody else. And uh, we, we just, we don't have, because we don't have all the information, we don't even know really what we need the most. 
But it says, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with, with, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, I know that, you know, uh, charismatics have taken that verse and said, see, that's talking about tongues. No, it's not, because it says they cannot be uttered. I'm not talking about anything being uttered. We're quiet, and the Spirit of God uh, groans and, and intercedes and prays for us uh, for things that we cannot even utter ourselves. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So what the Spirit of God's doing here is, is he's, he's interceding for us according to God's will. And then, and I, I really never saw this before until, until I just really studied the passage as a whole, and the, probably the two verses we're the most familiar with, and one in particular, is verses 28 and 29, which says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to, the, to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, if you notice, 26 and 27 talk about the Spirit making intercession for us, and then immediately in verse 28 says, all things work together for good. You know what I believe? I believe verses 28 and 29 are fulfilled prayers of the Holy Spirit in verses 26 and 27. In other words, he sees things that we don't see and he knows things we don't know. And so there are experiences that come into our lives that are necessary for the will of God for us. And by the way, nothing that comes into your life is unnecessary. You say, well, what about when I sin? Well, you get the repercussions of it. That's necessary to get your attention and, and to make you realize that that, uh, that that sin needs to be, needs to be repented of and, and forsaken. But, but uh, the Spirit of God knows what we need. He knows what's necessary. And He knows, he knows what we need, I'm convinced, uh, far better than you and I know what we need. And then in verses 28 and 29, those are the answers to the prayers of the Holy Spirit for us in verses 26 and 27. Now, the things that happen in verses uh, 28 and 29, those things happen because we need them. Sometimes those things are abounding things. Sometimes those things are abasing things. It says all things. Both of them are absolutely necessary, whether it's abounding, whether it's abasing, whether it's joy, whether it's extreme sorrow, that's all part of the process, and it's all part of the necessary ingredients that, that, that need to be in our lives so that we can grow and get close to God the way we're supposed to. Now, if you notice in that verse, particularly verse 28, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, God's responsibility is to take all those things, whatever they are that are in your life, and take all those things and work all of those things for good. And to work them for good according to his purpose. Uh, oftentimes, you're going to look at those things and say, why did you bring this into my life? Why did you... Sometimes it's, why did you bring this person into my life? Why did you, why did you allow that incident in my life? Uh, but, 
just be assured that if he allowed it there, he allowed it there because his responsibility is to work all things together for good according to his purpose. Not our purpose, but his purpose. What's our responsibility in that verse? Well, look at it again. Verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that what? Love God. During that whole process, during that whole thing, what we're supposed to be doing is working on just loving God. And God is concerned with conforming us to be like Jesus Christ. In verse 29, he says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, when did that start? It started the day you got saved. Now, it's going to be completed someday in glory, uh, either by rapture or by death, but it's going to be completed. But in the meantime, what we're going through in this life is part of that process. And God is concerned with conforming us to be like Jesus Christ. Down to verse 30, he says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. And what he's doing is he's working everything together for good, and he's conforming us to Christ. And all of this is a process. So whatever you're going through in your life right now, whether it's an abounding thing or whether it's an abasing thing, whether it's a joyful thing or whether it's a sorrowful thing, understand that it is absolutely necessary for the process of conforming you and I to Jesus Christ. And by the way, may I say this to you? Not everything that happens to us happens just for us. It happens for others too. So if you are someone who is really not going through something right now, understand one of the reasons why other people are is for your benefit. And sometimes that benefit is so that you can be a special blessing to them, so you can be an encouragement to them. If they're rejoicing about something, so you can rejoice with them that do rejoice. If they're sorrowing, you can weep with them that weep. But, but the, the bottom line is, is that we're all, we're all interconnected. We, we just are. And uh, the things happen in your life not just for you, but also for the benefit and for the, for the blessing of others. Our responsibility in this life is to love God through it all, no matter what, no matter what happens. In order to do this, we've got to remember some things. And there are four questions that God presents in the remainder of this chapter that, that lead us and guide us to really appreciate the God whom we serve and to really, really love the Lord. And uh, these things are, are presented, these four, four things about God are presented in four questions. First question it's found in verses 31 and 32. It says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, obviously, when you go through some of these things, you, you, you know, it might cross your mind, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's an awful lot against me right now. There's an awful lot that, that is oppressing me right now. There's an awful lot of pressure on me, on my family, on my husband, on my wife right now but understand that that those things are for our benefit if god be for us 
who can be against us. You might have some things going against you, but remember something. If you're saved, if you're saved and even if you're not really, because uh, we'll, we'll see why that is in just a moment, but uh, particularly if you're saved this morning, God is for you. Sit and mull on that for a minute, will you? Just think about that. You know you. <laughs> you know what you thought this week. You know some of the things you did this week. Let me ask you something. If, if you were in God's position and knew everything that you know about you, would you be for you? I don't know that I'd be for me. I know, I know some of the things I thought. I know some of the reactions I had. I know some of the things I've, I've done over the years. And uh, yet God is for us. Uh, that, that all by itself, as far as I'm concerned, is an absolutely amazing fact. Psalm 56 and verse 9 says, When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. What, what the psalmist is saying is, I cry to you because i got a need and you answer my prayer, and you turn my enemies back. And then it goes on and says, this I know. He says, listen, when I, when I cry to God, God hears me. I know that. Why did the psalmist know that? He said, for God is for me. Whew. You realize God is on your side. God is on your team. Now, I, I realize there are times when things happen to us, and we look and we say, God, do you still love me? Do you still care for me? Lord, uh, uh, what in the world is this all about? You know, I've told you the story about, you know, going into the ministry and six months later, watch a church split and people throwing daggers through their eyes at each, at each other and, and uh, uh, passing, passing horrible, vicious rumors around town uh, about various people. And, and uh, I was delivering papers one night for the Milwaukee Sentinel, and I, I was just mean God. And we're riding through Green Bay, not a car on the street. And uh, about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I said, Lord, what in the world is going on? Lord, did I make a mistake? Have you, have you forsaken this whole outfit? Uh, what in the world is happening? When, when you start having... Thoughts like that, just remember this. If God be for us, and he is, then who can be against us? There is no one and there is no thing that is greater than your God. Uh, there's going to be opposition, but, but none as great or as powerful as the God we serve. Uh, you've got, you've got some, some big-time enemies. If you're saved, you've got some huge enemies. You've got the world against you, you've got the flesh against you, and you've got the devil against you. Can I tell you something? Even combined in strength, combined, all at the same time, they're no match for your God. No match. And all God's people said? Isn't that true? Aren't you glad you serve a God that's more powerful than anyone, anything, or any combination of things? Uh, how did he show... How did he show that he was for us? Look down in verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us 
all things. Now, when he said for us all, he's including the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So really, he's not only for those that are, are saved, but he's also for those that are lost. He wants to see them get saved. And that's the whole reason why he gave the Lord Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for their sin. This kind of love and power promises to freely give us all things. In other words, whatever it is we need during that time, God will be there. God will be, because He's for us, and He will give us what we need to get us through. Uh, Apostle Paul, when he, was, when he was going to God about the thorn of the flesh, he prayed three times and asked it to be removed. Third one, the answer came. He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. What was God doing at that point? He was giving him exactly what he needed. He did not need... Now understand this, because this is hard to grasp sometimes. <clears throat> he did not need to have the thorn removed. He needed to have the thorn right where it was, whatever that thorn was. What he needed more than having the thorn removed was to get a hold of the grace of God and accept the fact that God was going to Take him through that thing. And if, if, uh, if God didn't hold back on giving his own son, won't he surely give you everything, everything that you need in order to live for him? Won't, won't he surely give us what we need in order to face the opposition that we face, whatever, whatever it might be? Sometimes that opposition comes in the, in the face of, uh, of people. Sometimes... The opposition comes in the face of circumstances. Uh, it, it comes in, in various forms. But if God be for us, who can be against us? Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That just simply means there's nothing that, that I need that he's going to withhold from me. Now, what I think I need and what God knows I need sometimes are contradictory. And that's where we have to just trust him and say, Lord, you know my needs better than I know my own needs. Then the next question, look down in verses uh, uh, 24, uh, no, excuse me, 30, 33, verse 33. Next question, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who shall lay anything at the charge of God's elect? It is God who justifies. Keep your finger here and just back up in Romans to chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Look down at verse 24. Romans 3, 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. The way that we get justified before God is by trust in Christ and Christ alone. It's not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy that He saved us. Look down verse 28. It says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Go with me, uh, if you would, to chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is God who justifies us. And if you think about it, God is both the judge and the justifier. 
He's the one that we're going to stand before and be accountable to one day, but he's also the one who makes us just in, the, in his eyes. Just just simply means that we have been counted clean and right in the sight of God because we've trusted Christ as Savior, and he has imputed to us his righteousness. And when he does that, we are justified. No one can make... Once you're saved... Nobody can make you guilty before God. Now, you know, uh, I, I don't know about you, but that's an exciting thing to me. Uh, I, I am justified. I am cleansed. I am, I, am, I am clean and righteous in the sight of God. Now, I'm not righteous in my own righteousness, but because of His imputed righteousness, I am just before God because He has justified me. Uh, Satan... In, in, according to the book of Revelation, is the accuser of the brethren. But he can't do anything to make us guilty in our standing before God if we're saved. If you're saved, who shall lay anything to your charge? No one can lay anything to your charge because God has justified you. Then the third, third question, look down in verse 34. It says, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who is he that condemneth? And it says Christ died, he rose again, and he's at God's right hand and intercedes for us. The only one who could, if you think about this, the only one who could condemn us in the first place is Christ. But Christ died for us, he rose again for us. He's at God's right hand for us. And He makes intercession for us. Who is He that condemneth? People can condemn all they want to. Uh, I'm in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, and because He has died for me, because I have trusted Him as my Savior, He arose, He's at God's right hand, and He makes intercession for me. He intercedes for us. Take your, keep your finger here and go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, and look down at verse 12. This, is, this chapter deals with the, the coming Messiah from an Old Testament perspective, and it's talking about Jesus Christ. Um, if, you, if you go up to verses, uh, well, go up to verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant as a, a root out of a dry ground he hath no form or comeliness and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him he is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief of course that's all talking about jesus christ and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and we esteemed him not surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of god and afflicted. Uh, now, now look down, if you would, to verse 12. It says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. That's obviously talking about Christ. And it says, And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. 
Intercession just simply means He stands between us and, and God the Father. Intercession just means that He makes a plea on our behalf. And uh, our eternal relationship with God rests in those facts. Our internal relationship with God rests in the fact that, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that He rose again, that He's on the right hand of the Father, and that He makes intercession for us on a regular basis. We are, because of that, we are therefore free from the condemnation of sin. And, and we, we, you know, the Bible says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Honestly, uh, I've thought this through many times. People that believe that you can lose your salvation don't ever really believe that they have eternal life. What they believe is that someday, if they don't mess up, they will have eternal life. That is not what the Scripture says. Scripture says you get it down here. You get it now. You get it as soon as you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And because of that, because of, of, of the fact that a person that trusts Christ has his, his sins forgiven, there is not, therefore now no condemnation. Who is he that condemneth? Uh, no one can condemn because Christ died for us. He rose again. He's at the right hand, and he makes intercession for us. And then the last question. Look down at verses 35 down through the end of the chapter. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I absolutely love this passage because I, 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 I know what goes through the minds of saved people. I know it's gone through my mind. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever, ever, ever doubted that maybe God didn't really love you as much as you thought he did? Have you ever gone through something and said, God, do you even know I'm here? You know, uh, that really was what Job was going through during all his trial. He was saying, listen, I, you know, I, I, I'm not hearing anything from God. God, where are you? And that's why he said, I esteem thy words more than my, than my necessary food. The reason why he said that was because back then they didn't have any written scripture. He had to hear verbally from God, and God was saying nothing. Nothing. Now, we have the word of God, but I'll tell you, every time in my life I've opened up that book, and I've got nothing. I've gotten down on my knees, and the heavens are brass. God sometimes allows us to go through those kind of dry periods. And uh, during those periods, it's easy to start saying, Lord, did you forget I'm here? <laughs> you know, Lord, uh, do you still love me? Now, you know, we know better. We know, what the, we know what the academic intellectual answer is. But you also know what's going on in your heart. Okay, be honest this morning, Okay. You know what's going on in your heart. And I've had it happen myself. This passage is such a blessing because, because it tells us that nothing can separate us from his love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Now, I'm thankful there's quite a few of those I've never experienced. 
But there's some of those I have. Verse 36, As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as, as sheep for the slaughter. Remember, Paul was living in a day when people died because of their stand for Jesus Christ. Now, we are living in that day. It's just not happening here. It's happening in some other countries this morning, but it's not happening here. At least it's not happening yet, but it could. Verse 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That's an interesting passage, one that really I hadn't thought of as I thought about it th this week. Verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But it says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, even you, <laughs> even me, no other creature can, is, is, uh, uh, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, He covers all the bases. He covers them all. No matter what we go through, no matter even what we do, if you're saved, God loves you. Now, you may not like some of the things you're thinking. He you might not like some of the things you're doing. But nothing, not even you, can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing from without, nothing from within, can stop God from loving us. He's going to love us. And if, go, back up, go back up to verse 37. Verse 37. It says, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, I'll tell you how I've always read that verse, always until this week. I, in my mind, in my thoughts, nay, in all these things we are conquerors. That isn't what it says. It doesn't say we're conquerors. It says we're more than conquerors. Well... What's more than a conqueror? It's not a conqueror. It's more than conquerors through him that loved us. A conqueror is one who defeats the enemy and wins the battle. Think about it. We don't do the conquering. We've got a God who will fight for us. So we're more than a conqueror because he's the one who does the work. He's the one that, that does the, the, the fighting. He's the one that wins the battle. And you look back in the Old Testament and you look at one, one story that we all know, David and Goliath. Now, did David defeat the giant? Yes. No. <laughs> really? You're both right. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Now, did he have to be there? Yes. Did he have to throw the stone? Yes. But can I tell you something? There was some divine guidance in the in flying of that stone. And, and it ended, I mean, this guy was covered with armor from head to foot, except for one little spot right here. David, I'm sure, aimed for that little spot, but I also believe with all my heart that God took that stone and made sure it hit the exact mark. I, you know, <clears throat> I don't know what it takes, but where, where it hit in his forehead, it knocked that guy cold. 
I mean, he, didn't, he, had, he had five smooth stones in his pouch. He only had to use one of them. You know why? Because God guided that stone. Now, who was the conqueror? Well, you say, well, David was. Yeah, David was the benefit of it. But you know who really won that battle? God won that battle. And he knew that. David wasn't stupid. He he, listen, uh, you know, Saul wanted to put all kinds of armor on him. And he says, no, no, no. He says, like, I can't do this. This doesn't feel right. I haven't proved it. Just let me go on out there. This guy is defying my God, and it bothers me, and he needs to be defeated. Well, he was trusting God. You read the Psalms and so forth, you see that, that boy, there's, there's really never been anybody who's trusted God any more than David has. So when the Bible says we're more than conquerors, the next time you read that thing, remember, if you're more than a conqueror, then somebody else is doing the conquering for you, and it's the Lord. So look at, these, look at these four things that the Bible says about God in answer to these questions. Number one, God is for us. <laughs> that all by itself, we can just stop right there. I mean, praise God, he is for us. He is not against us. He is not at counter purposes with us. He's for us. Secondly, he justifies us. He makes us just and clean before him in his sight. Third, he intercedes for us. He's going to bat for us. He's our lawyer. He's our attorney. He's the one who, who goes to the Father on our behalf. And then fourth, he loves us and nothing can stop him from doing it. Now, let, let me ask you something. What can you do but love a God like that? And the Bible says he works all things together for good. To them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. His responsibility is to work all that junk in our life for good. And he does. And it's to fulfill his purpose. That's his responsibility. And he does it quite well. Our responsibility is just to love him. And when you know that your God's for you, he's justified you, he intercedes for you, and he loves you, how can you do anything but love him? I found a, I don't know what it is, it's just, I don't know if it's a prayer or what it is. Uh, it's something that a lady, and I don't even know who that, this lady is, I tried to look her up, I, it sounds like she's a saved lady, she's written some books and so forth, but uh, her name is Ruth Harms Calkin. And she wrote this, kind of in response to this passage. She wrote this. She said, God, I may fall flat on my face. I may fail until I feel old and beaten and done in. Yet your love for me is changeless. All the music may go out of my life. My private world may shatter to dust. Even so, you will hold me in the palm of, of your steady hand. No turn in the affairs of my fractured life can baffle you. Satan, with all his braggadocio, cannot distract you. Nothing can separate me from your measureless love. Pain can't. Disappointment can't. Anguish can't. Yesterday, today, tomorrow can't. The loss of my dearest love can't. Death can't. Life can't, riots, war, insanity, uh, unidentity, uh, hunger, 
neurosis, a disease, none of these things, nor all of them heaped together can budge the fact that I am dearly loved, completely forgiven, and forever free through Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray that, that this passage and these questions this morning will... Uh, really grab a hold of our hearts this morning and help us to see how great a God we serve. We doubt. We're feeble. We're a mess. We are. We falter. We've, like this lady said, we've, there's times we'll fall flat on our face before you. and We'll make a mess of things. But God, one thing that's, that's true is that you're for us. You love us. You've justified us. You've cleansed us. You intercede for us. And nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There might be someone here this morning that does not know for sure that if they die today, they go to heaven. I pray that they have seen in the message this morning, there's a God who is for them, and that's the whole reason why Jesus Christ died for this old wretched world. And the truth of the matter is, most people will not trust him as Savior. Most people won't trust you, won't believe on you. And yet, you gave your only begotten Son anyway. Lord, uh, that's love. I mean, that's really love. And once we trust Christ as Savior, there's nothing that can separate us from that love and i'm thankful for that god work in our hearts this morning maybe there's someone that's discouraged maybe there's someone that is thinking about quitting thinking about throwing up their hands uh maybe just scratching their head saying what in the world are you doing uh, lord may they be reassured from these verses of scripture this morning that you are very very active in their lives and that you're working all things together for good according to your purpose. Our responsibility is to love you. Work in hearts. Have your will and have your way. In this invitation, we'll be careful to throw back to you the praise and the honor and the glory that you so richly deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's do so.